Thanks, Rodney. Thanks, Wags. Yep, it's only an hour. Jeff Howe, Jordan Scruggs, and as promised, joining us today because we are one week away from the start of the early signing period. It's my good friend Mike Roach, Longhorn fans. He's back for today to talk Texas recruiting, talk a little portal, talk a little state of Texas recruiting. Whatever the topics come up, it'll be all on Mike Roach. Mike, good to see you, man. Yeah, it's been it's been a minute since you and I have done a broadcast together. So back on your on your days on the horn, I used to do a weekly drop in. So this is bringing back those memories. And Jeff, as you know, you have uh, you've you've raised a young daughter. I have an, a, a nearly nine month old, so I got her to take a nap about thirty minutes before this started. So I'm hoping she holds up through the hour. That's an accomplishment. Um, let's go. Let's start with the portal before we get into recruiting. We got Kobe Black's decision coming up in the four o'clock hour today. Uh, we'll definitely hit that, and and I, I do want to hit some things. But Mike, I want to start with with this. Your quick thoughts on Texas this season because you were our boots on the ground covering recruiting in this market as this roster was being put together. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch every game or parts of games or whatever, but. What are you kind of give me your 30,000 foot view on on what you've seen from this Texas team where you feel like things are headed under Sark? Well, I mean, they needed roster talent infusion when Sark got here. And I think that he, you know, if you really, if you go back to Charlie Strong, right, and what he built, and you look at Tom Herman and you think, okay, Tom Herman took a step and built on top of that. What I think Steve Sarkeesian brought was a way accelerated timeline and, and the yeah. portal certainly helped. Um, when you look at guys like Amy Mitchell who were able to come in and just be such a big factor, but I, I think that they went out and recruited elite talent in a way that hasn't been done here in a long time. And, and in the, in the key positions where, you know, you saw them put together that offensive line class in 2022, that's kind of the foundation for what they're doing now, sure. what they did at linebacker last year, I could remember when I was still on the beat, people questioning Jeff Choate's recruiting ability in year one. And, you know, when you look at what they've got stocked at linebacker, including what he was able to do with the development of Jalen Ford, that's obviously going to be a big loss for Texas. And congratulations to Coach Choate for earning that job at Nevada. He's going to do a great job out there. But I think in the past, when you looked at their highly ranked recruiting classes, they were always a little deceiving because they would have a lot of skill guys that were highly rated, but they never really built through the middle. And and they've done that. And, um, you know, I, I getting to watch uh, Jeff, tell me if this is a hot take or not. Because okay. I last I said it um, where I was at a high school game right after the Big 12 championship and I said it to somebody else there, but. Is the duo of Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy on par with Casey Hampton and Sean Rogers? Uh, before I answer that, Jordan, what, what's your knowledge base of Casey Hampton and Sean Rogers since those guys last played a snap at Texas two years before you entered this mortal world? I just know they're pretty, pretty damn good ball players. That's what that's about it. They were. Um, I, I don't. On par to me, Mike, is probably a stretch just because I, I don't know, you know, Mike and I are closer in age than Jordan and I are. But, you know, the older we get, kind of the more you lean back on nostalgia a little bit. Maybe you remember things a little more fondly than they actually were. But for me, those two guys set the bar. I think why it's hard to judge is you look at parts of what they were in 99 and that's probably the peak of them because Sean was hurt so often in 2000 and Casey just had an insane year. It's definitely the best duo they've had since then. And that's not anything to scoff at. I mean, you think about the duos they've had since then. I mean, uh, you know, Rod Wright and, you know, that, that kind of that, that group they had of defensive tackles on that national championship team, Rod Wright, Frank Ocam, uh, Derek Loki, uh, Roy Miller was in that rotation. I mean, all those guys played in the NFL. Uh, you have Roy Miller and Lamar Houston. You have Lamar Houston and, and Keiston Randall. Uh, you know, Keiston Randall and, and Chris Whaley were really good. And those, you know, those guys got cups of coffee in the league. Malcolm Brown and Hassan Ridgeway was a really good tackle tandem. But yeah, it's by far the best. I think where I've compared them is personality-wise. Byron's a lot like Casey in that it's pretty much no nonsense, no screwing around. And Mike, you know this from having been around him in recruiting, because I mean, you you had a pretty good pulse on on the kind of player he was going to be 
just kind of no nonsense, no screwing around. It's all business. And Tavondre, a little like Sean, is kind of the big teddy bear, can be a little bit accused for being maybe aloof at times. But once he gets locked in and decides, you know, all right, I'm ready to just light up and get in a three-point stance and kick your ass, it's probably what's going to happen. Those are two, like, personal victory laps for me because <laughs> I remember having the conversations with people on our board and other people that worked with us about Devondre Sweat when they took him of, like, well, he just doesn't look very good in high school. And I'm like, just wait until this guy's 330 pounds. He's going to be a nightmare. I, I said it over and over. I think everybody looked at him as a defensive end, and I'm like, no, he's going to be a, a 330 Oh, did Mike freeze up on us? Knows. And I, I haven't looked at the roster weight, but I think Byron Murphy, you you talk about a guy that I wrote for the entire cycle and, and constantly said, like, this is a guy you want in your program. Because when you talk about, like, people throw the word dog around a lot. But when you talk about dogs, like, By, that's Byron Murphy. He is a souped-up pit bull. Yeah, he doesn't have the prototypical size you want, but – if you're a guy who sets the sack record at DeSoto in a single season, you know, playing with Shamar, Tom, uh, Shamar Turner on the same line at a school where Vaughn Miller went, like, that, that's saying something and doing it from the interior. I I love that kid's game from the time I first saw him. He – and, I mean, he told me then, like, um, it's three years now for me. And that – nobody thought that for him, right? He was like a three-star recruiter guy, okay. And he's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to get this. Like, I, I know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Byron Murphy's going to be, they list him at 6'1", Mike. He's probably going to be, you know, at the combine, probably six foot and change. And he's going to be six foot and change whether he comes out this year or next year. So his draft stock wouldn't be helped all that much, I don't think, by coming back. So that's a good overview, Mike, of where things are. Jordan, I want to turn it over to you. And this is kind of how it's going to work today for those of, those of you that normally watch the show or maybe this is your first time checking it out. Thanks for supporting Texas Sports Unfiltered and obviously supporting Horns 24-7 and supporting Mike in his national role at 24-7 Sports. But I'm basically going to play moderator and toss questions back and forth between Jordan and Mike. Uh, and, Mike, you can actually kind of throw anything on this if you want to. Uh, but, Jordan, the big news, Matthew Golden officially in the portal uh, you know, we the, the couple of crystal ball predictions came in in favor of Texas yesterday. I know this is one you and I have talked about it a lot once it was reported last week that he was planning on going into the portal. This would be a monster get for Texas. And, you know, we've kind of been waiting to see exactly what the plan would be for Sark and company wide receiver. But I think it kind of starts with, with Matthew Golden now that they can actually go out and pursue him. Uh, yeah, um, he officially showed up in the portal yesterday and uh, a lot of schools have been in contact already. Um, Texas is going down to Houston today or the members of the staff are in Houston. They're looking at some high school guys while they're down there. They're going to go and meet with Golden and maybe on the Houston campus. I'm not sure exactly where it'll take place or what time, but uh, was told last night that he'll be meeting with the Texas staff today. Uh, I was also told last night he'll be visiting Louisville this weekend. Um, for about a week or so, I've been reporting the five schools to watch for him will be uh, Texas, Georgia, U, or almost said UT, LSU, Louisville, and believe the other was, I don't remember what the other one was. <laughs> but Louisville seems to be the main competition for Texas at this point, or at least yep. as of last night. Um Louisville's shown they can get really aggressive with NIL in the past. And, you know, just like every other high-profile portal recruitment, this is going to be a pretty big uh, – a lot of factors will depend on NIL here. Um, and, you know, that's not out of the ordinary at all nowadays. Um, but, yeah, Texas is, I think, in the best spot. Uh, I don't feel quite confident enough yet to put in a crystal ball, but as of right now, I think Texas will be the eventual landing spot for him. Yeah, Louisville's got more NIL money than Colonel Sanders right now, it seems like. Uh, Mike, you, you, uh, I've mentioned this, like Matthew Golden's a guy that the Texas staff, Sarkin Company, they actually pursued and they wanted. It just was kind of a wonky time with them coming in and his recruitment kind of going the way it did. Uh, didn't really have time to form a relationship. But uh, what, what's your take on Matthew Golden, just as a prospect? And uh, I, I think he's probably the most complete receiver in the portal, not only because of what you get on offense, but I'll, I'll mention this till I'm blue in the face. He immediately 
helps your return game. And in an offseason where you're you're going to lose Xavier Worthy and Keelan Robinson, Matthew Golden's going to be able to come in and help you somewhere in the return game. Yeah, credit to Jaden Blue when they were in high school together at Klein Kane, who told me, like, hey, you've got to help this Matthew Golden kid who's on my team get recruited. And I I always roll my eyes when kids tell me that a little bit because I'm like, okay, what am I about to watch? You know, like, <laughs> what is what are you going to give me to work with here? And I turned on the film and I was just like, why does he need my help? Why isn't every school in the country not knocking this kid's door down? Um, that's another personal, personal uh, fan favorite of mine. Um, he was sensational at Klein Kane. Just you talk about an athlete, and you could see it from the way he moved, from the way he jumped, from the way he he attacked the ball in the air. Um, that was a guy that I think Texas bundled it, bungled it a little bit the first time because he was there all of Sark's first cycle, right? But they didn't pursue him early. Um, I, it was Andre Coleman was was the receiver coach at the time. He wasn't. He wasn't that into him from from the conversations that that I had with people, and um, it, it was only until uh, Armani Winfield decommitted in the late fall that they decided, okay, we're going to go all in on Matthew Golden at this point. And once they went all in, they there was a point where I, I can recall being in in Missouri with my in laws for Thanksgiving and like on the phone getting getting the stink eye from my wife because I was on the phone with Matthew Golden <laughs> um, after he had visited. Uh, for whatever game they played the day after Thanksgiving, Sark's first year. And I, I you know, he was kind of like, yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of into it, but like, I don't know. They waited so long to offer me. It, and credit to Houston, who had done a really good job uh, getting him to, I think, I mean, what you can say about Dana Holgerson's staff is they did a really good job keeping some big name prospects in Houston at home. And so, getting him to stay home was huge for them. And in the end, you know, TCU came on really hard. Texas was pushing really hard. I think the eventual thought was it was just going to end up back at TCU. Uh, But Matthew told me like at the time, like he really just kind of wanted to blaze his own trail and go away from the big schools. And so I think that this is a guy that people have had their eye on with the impending changes at Houston that like, yeah, if he goes in the portal, we don't want to mess this up a second time. We love this. We love this kid in high school. We're gonna try to get him again, and I, it certainly helped that he had a heck of a performance when Texas went to Houston to play them this year, uh, yeah. right in front of them. I think that yeah, Louisville, obviously extremely competitive in the NIL game. Um, anytime Georgia's involved, you got to worry. But like for me, I can recall a couple of years ago having a, a conversation with a Texas source who said with our offense and the way we can develop receivers and get the ball to them, we're going to be in contention for the best portal receiver every single year. And that's what I think this is to them. And I can recall last year, um, the the staff being really patient with early portal offers or a lot of guys who were in the portal early who were reaching out to Texas and they were just like, no, no, we're good. And they, cause they knew that, you know, there was always talk that A.D. Mitchell could become available. And that was the guy they wanted to pursue. And so I think that they've kind of chosen their shots um, with those kind of guys and, and and it's paid off for them. So I, yeah, I do really like where Texas stands in this, obviously taking other visits is going to throw some, some wrenches into things, but I like where Texas is. I think the the crystal balls that have gone in are are probably well-founded knowledge wise from what I know. Jordan, talk about Chris Jackson real quick, because, you know, Mike was in your position when Andre Coleman was there and it just it seemed like either you know the the wrong guys were getting brought to the table or uh, you know the the guys that were on the table whatever it just it didn't something didn't click with Andre Coleman and Sark I think the way Sark probably thought it would and they hired Brennan Marion who brought in talent but you know I think everybody knew that was going to be kind of a short-term deal Chris Jackson's in that role now you've talked to not just guys in the 24 class uh, and you'll be talking to portal guys, but also guys in the 25 class. I know you just caught up with Kalik Lockett. You talked to some kids in the 26 class. What, what's the opinion on Chris Jackson, just how he is as a recruiter? We know he can develop guys because what have, what he's gotten out of this receiver room this year. What What's the thought of him as a developer of relationships as a guy when he gets out on the trail? 
Uh, I mean, pretty much every every wide receiver prospect you'll talk to that's getting recruited by Texas will tell you, like, kind of just how real he is. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a similar thing that would come up a lot with talking to, like, linebacker recruits. With uh, They would say the same thing about Jeff Choate, yeah. um, where he just seems like a, a real-ass dude, you know what I mean? Um, I know a lot of players love his NFL experience as well and coaching in the NFL with the Jaguars before coming to Texas. Um and that also stands out because a lot of a lot of college coaches can't offer that. Um. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And obviously with seeing the improvements the receivers have made this year and uh, with the room as a whole, I think kids are also starting to realize that and realize that while a lot of that's coming from experience and the program as a whole, you know, majority of that is Chris Jackson as well. So, you know, I think it's definitely a plus. Um, I think we don't have a big enough sample size yet to compare him to Brennan Marion and have it be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think we're coming up on that when it, it is fair to compare them and look at the different pros and cons of each, but you know, Chris Jackson only got here in January and he's coming up on a full year. So, um, but you know, in the, in the year he's been there, I think I have yet to hear of any bad things. Um, and you know, I, it'd be kind of weird reporting it if I did, but you know, I, I can say very confidently, like there, there's nothing bad or negative I've ever heard yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, in Chris Jackson's time at Texas. Mike, before we get to recruiting, I want to go back to a Texas roster question for you real quick. Of the guys that did not play a ton this year, that could be, you know, Jelani McDonald, Warren Roberson, Colton Vosick, even a guy like Leunga LaFowle who only plays special teams, who's that guy that you're going to be paying attention to for reports coming out of spring practice? And you'll see see something from a, a practice report or a scrimmage report and you'll feel like, yeah, that that's one you feel really good about. You felt good about the eval when they were coming out of high school, and you feel like they're they're going to be a big time player at Texas. Maybe the people aren't aren't really honing in on right now that they just haven't seen a ton of. You said two of them right off the bat for me are are Jelani McDonald and Leon Leifau. I, I heard a lot about Leon Leifau uh, coming out of this past. Uh, fall practices or, or spring practices. Um, he is a, he's a guy that I think was a little undervalued and, and we've seen his value a little bit on special teams. There's obviously going to be some room in that linebacker rotation. And, and I think he, after a year with the program is kind of ready to step up and take that mantle. But to me, Jelani McDonald, Jelani McDonald was a, I, I want to almost call it a steal for Texas, which like, it doesn't really make sense, but it, it, it is in the fact that they almost ran unopposed for him. I mean, in the end, TCU, who had his, who had kind of the juice later in his recruitment, decided that they were just going to take two portal guys over Jelani McDonald. Oklahoma State was kind of hemming and hawing about taking him back. And, and it was almost a layup for Texas. And you're talking about a Ferrari of an athlete. I mean, if you, Jeff, you've been out to practice, just eyeball the kid. And tell me, you know, this doesn't look incredibly impressive. We saw him last year at the yeah. All-American Bowl. He was a late addition to that. And he was incredible in that game. And that when you watch, the- yeah. When you watch the kids, and then I've had a chance since, since I've been on the beat to watch these two teams warm up and just get off the bus. The guys that get off the bus for Alabama, the guys that get off the bus for Georgia, that's what Jelani McDonald looks like. Yeah, I mean, he is a supercharged athlete. And when you talk about like what you look for in an athlete like that, it's things like bounce and, and explosion. And he's got that in spades. I mean, this, this is a kid who was like the Waco, I think it was the Waco papers, like all uh, basketball MVP, his uh, junior year in the play. I, he averaged like 24 points a game in the playoffs at Connolly, uh, his junior year. I mean, when you, we talk about a lot about multi-sport ability and how does that translate to the field, field it's bounce it's explosion the ability like when you watch a guy like that on the basketball court who's like punching it off of one foot 
it's a different type of athleticism and that does translate directly to the football field. So for me, he's the guy I'm kind of most excited about. Like I I really want to see him step up and get a lot more playing time. I think, I mean, again, I didn't follow Texas nearly as closely as I have in the past, just because I had so many other things going on this fall, but I did try to watch most of the games and I, I I would guess I saw him a lot on like kickoff coverage and some stuff like that. Uh, But I mean, this is a guy that I can't wait to see what he does when he's on the field, whether that be at the star position or, um, you know, at safety or at linebacker or wherever they, they see. Let's stick with uh, Conley High School. Again, I, I forget if Conley's technically in Lacey Lakeview or if it's just like in the Bermuda Triangle between Lacey Lakeview and Bellmead. But at any rate, Jordan, you'll be there today. We've talked about it on this show. I, I don't know how much more I can spell it out without just saying it, but on a level of, on a scale of zero to 10, how shocked would you be if Kobe Black picked somebody other than Texas today? 10. It'd yeah. be 10. Yeah. And that's, you, you, we don't, I don't like saying that very often in recruiting because, man, Mike knows this. At the end of the day, we're dealing with 16, 17, 18 year old kids. And I've seen kids change their mind at the last minute and, have staffs, coaching staffs be like, what the hell just happened? Like, we thought we had that kid. So, but, yeah, it's it's Kobe Black. Uh, Jordan, start with you, then go to Mike. You guys have both seen him in person this year. What do you like? And, and Mike, do you want to take up for uh, for Andrew Ivins and Hudson Standish and Gabe Brooks and the folks on the national side for the, uh, the safety corner conundrum that we seem to be stuck in? Jordan, go ahead. You go first. Yeah, um, the game I saw was – the game, actually his final high school game of his career uh, versus Jasper where they kind of got donkeyed. So wasn't the best uh, exposure for only seeing him once. But um, just like, man, being being around at all these high school games, like guys just either have college bodies, NFL bodies, and, you know, they either got it or they don't. He definitely has the look of a guy who's going to play in the NFL for sure. Um, and, you know, we have him listed as a safety. I know he says he's a corner, all that. He could literally play anything, and I'm pretty confident in that, um, that he would do it at a high level as well. So, But my Mike's a Kobe Black guy, so I don't want to take too much of the uh, evaluation <laughs> stuff, whatever, so I'll pass it to him because he's seen him way more in person than I ever have, so he can speak on it much better than I can. Yeah, I was also at that game uh, with Jordan, and it didn't – I mean, there just wasn't a lot of room for Kobe to do much against that Jasper team. Uh, Connolly was a little hopeless on offense, and – it was a run game festival for Jasper. So he wasn't getting a whole lot of, a lot of push and coverage. I did see him last year against Springtown in a game where he had five touchdowns, uh, four on offense and then a pick six on defense. And it was funny. I was at the state seven on seven tournament. We were in the same hotel as Springtown and I was talking to their defense coordinator at the bar one night in the hotel lobby. And he was just like, I just couldn't understand why we were throwing balls at the guy with an Alabama and Texas offer, and then it it burned (laughs) us. So he is a big play guy, absolutely. I think that that two-way playing offense, playing defense, lends itself to a lot of success at the next level. As for the safety corner, look, I mean, our guys on the national scouting team, right, wrong, or indifferent, if you agree with them or not, they put a ton of work into it, right? They study a lot of trends. And their job is not necessarily to project him to what he's going to play in college. Their job is to project him because we grade on an NFL draft scale. Hey, is this guy an NFL safety? And that's kind of what they think. They think that's the way the NFL is going to view him, even if he does play corner at the college level. And so it doesn't really matter. I mean, like Jordan said, this is a guy that can play your either side at corner or your fielder boundary. He can play at safety. I mean, he is a – uh, uh, ball skills through the roof. He's a ball hawk, a coverage demon. Like he's physical enough to, to come up and play in the box and tackle. He's built like a dream, you know, six, one and a half, six, two, probably. Um, I, I wouldn't get, I know Kobe is, I've had conversations with Kobe about like, just don't worry about it, man. Like just go play football. Like you're, you know, what schools are recruiting you at. Like, we've got to do our job. You go do your job, and, and we'll see how it kind of all shakes out. Maybe when he gets drafted, and if he's an all-pro NFL corner, then he can call me or tweet at us or, or whatever he wants to do. You know, uh, I I like him for bound, what Texas likes in their boundary corner. Like, Ryan Watts now is the prototype. I think he mm-hmm. fits there. 
But I think with the way teams are attacking the field now, guys, when you look at teams are more willing to take those high-risk throws over the middle of the field between the hashes. And that's kind of the one thing this te- – and maybe Derek Williams can be one of these guys. We just haven't seen it enough from him. Uh, but Texas needs one of those guys. They need a ball hawk in the middle of the field uh, for that center field safety. And, you know, they don't have that guy right now. And a guy with ball skills like Kobe Black has, Mike, I think you hit it on the head with what, what little I've seen of him just on tape. What stood out to me is you got to go with those kind of ball skills. I want to put him in a position where – he can have the most opportunities to make plays on the field. And for me, that would probably be at safety. But I think he could play boundary corner. He could play nickel. Uh, he, he's a really, really good prospect. Mike, you on board with Jordan in terms of you'll be shocked and we don't use that word often if it's anybody but Texas today? I get Jordan's sentiment of a 10. I've been in the game much longer and I'm much more scarred by past things. So I'm going to go nine and just give the one point like allowance for anything can happen in recruiting. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would be pretty shocked at this point. If, if it, I, I think Texas has run the best race from the beginning. I mean, there are times when Texas wins kids over, you know, even if they get in on them late, it's not often. There's a lot of times that burns them. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see how that shakes out with like Xavier feels to me. Um, but when they're early on a kid like that, they almost always, and, and they really treat it like a priority from the beginning. They yeah. very rarely lose those recruitments. And so uh, Kobe was one of those guys for them, a guy that they, they really set out from the beginning to land. And, uh, and I think that they've run the best race to this point. But which, whichever one of you guys wants to take this, please feel free the Xavier Filsimi situation is interesting. And Jordan, you you recently put in your your crystal ball prediction with confidence level of six uh, for Texas to get him. What again, wh- whichever one of y'all wants to take it first, go ahead. How did that evaluation process for Texas work? And what was it maybe the first time around that didn't jive things weren't jiving or whatever it was? How have things come together when they have? The timing of Texas getting on him is is really interesting. I'm passing yeah, this all think, the way to Mike. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, again, this is another longtime Mike Roach guy. Uh, known Xavier since he was an eighth grader. Um, and he was a receiver. I mean, he was a receiver until literally his junior year. So his junior his junior year, spring, his sophomore spring, he's, he kind of flips to safety. I remember seeing him in a seven-on-seven tournament in the spring of his sophomore year, kind of the first time he's playing safety. I called somebody at Texas and I was like, look, man, like I, there's no film on him playing safety. There's, you're going to just have to trust me on this, but like this kid is a different looking athlete. And I, I called him and said, Hey, I think it was like the weekend. I think I was at a tournament on a Friday for a state qualifier. And then Saturday they were having their elite camp. And I was like, just get him down there tomorrow and work him out and let me know what you like go from there and they didn't for whatever reason and um you know his first year at safety he struggled a little bit he it was his first time playing the position and the athleticism was there but he didn't have the the instinctive ability he didn't have the the technical ability even you know he was just a big athlete running around on the back end and i think when you had that he had an off-season injury so nobody got to really see him during the spring a lot of those schools offered him off potential. This is a kid who was six six foot, six one, whatever, one ninety, who runs a ten five hundred, who is when you see him move, it's it's different. Again, it's like Jelani McDonald in a sense. And I think Texas kind of had some safety targets in mind. I think that they really would have loved to have evaluated him during the spring, but because he was recovering from a shoulder injury, they they didn't get that opportunity. And I can remember I was at McKinney High School late spring, I was speaking at their recruiting seminar and I talked to one of the coaches who said that Texas had called, Xavier was about to make his commitment to Florida at this point. Texas had called and said, hey, is it too late to get in? And they were kind of like, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's about to make his commitment. So I think they kind of circled back around after um, after that and were able to get into the Red River shootout, obviously. And then it kind of just progressed from there. They had the good fortune of things falling apart at Florida a little bit and 
that that certainly helped him. I don't think hey, you know, Florida gone out and had an eight and four season or whatever. Um, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. Uh, yeah. X would be totally locked in, but it gave Texas an opening. I think that they've done a good job since that time because you have to repair a lot of the, hey, you didn't offer me early, you didn't believe in me back then type of stuff. So they're in a really good position going into this week's official visit. He'll have a, a Florida in home tonight um, with uh, Billy Napier and the new DB coach, Will Harris, are coming in. Um, and then uh, I think Blake Gideon wants to get last in home uh, before uh, the official visit just to make sure everything's uh, locked up. I would I would say – if you, I don't have a crystal ball in, and I think it's clear if you follow my reporting, I'm getting the most inside information from Xavier Filsimi's camp. So sometimes we trade crystal balls for those things. Uh, so read into that what you will. Uh, but I would say I, I like I, I would give the edge to Texas at this point going into the official visit weekend. Jordan, you you riding with Mike on that on liking where I mean you've already put in your crystal ball. You liking where things are with with Filsimi in Texas. Oh, yeah. Riding with Mike for sure. Nice. Uh, Jordan, I'll start with you on this one. We're a week away from signing day. We talked about Kobe Black. We talked about Xavier Filsamy. There's portal guys. Trey Moore is out there. You know, we talked about the Matthew Golden thing. Texas is going down to Houston to talk with him. Give me a couple of the guys that if you're a Texas fan following recruiting, and again, I hope Texas fans are rewired at this point to treat the December signing period like you used to treat the February signing day. So everything kind of comes to a head now, except for a handful of guys. Give me a few guys that you tell a Texas fan, hey, pay attention to this guy and what he does and where he ends up going on signing day. <laughs> well, man, uh, Phil Smith is obviously one of them. Um I'd say Terrence Hobler, who's an interior D lineman from Mississippi, committed to Mississippi State. Um, I'd say uh, Alex Foster, the interior D lineman from uh, Louisiana that's committed to Baylor. He could be one to watch as well. Um, Aaron Butler, who is in contact with Texas. Texas is yet to offer there. He just decommitted from uh, Colorado in the last week or two. I did yeah. see he's visiting Arizona this weekend, so – with Texas not offering and signing day a week away from today, I'm, I'm doubting anything will happen there, but it's still something we're watching. Um, big name we're watching is Dominic McKinley, where it's actually looking like he's going to sign in February now. So not really looking forward to it being extended two months. Um, but, you know, maybe Texas can get in there and shake it up. Uh, they're scheduled to go in home with him tomorrow. Um, I believe the other schools that have been in home or will be in home with him this week uh, include A&M, LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma. I think uh, Alabama may also have one, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure on them. Um, so I'd say, yeah, those those are the guys to watch. Um, in terms of guys committed, I think Aaron Hampton is certainly one to watch. Uh, behind the scenes for months, Alabama's been in contact with them. Nick Saban obviously was out on a home visit, or not a home visit, uh, visited Hampton at Dangerfield. Um, I believe last week it was, and you know, he's committed, he's been committed to Texas twice, committed to Baylor once, uh, you know, we've been over it. He's, uh, he's, a you know, one of the guys we're watching, um, because of past history and, you know, I'd be stupid if I didn't mention him as a guy who we're watching going up to signing day. Right. So, yeah. An interesting Jeff, can I just say, can ahead. I just say, I'm so interested. I'm going to see Jordan all week. I'm going to get my fill of Jordan at the Texas state. <laughs> Uh, state championships this week, but I'm so interested to talk to Jordan next week because you and I have done it for years, so we kind of know the girl. But like, this is Jordan's first signing day, like on the big beat, yeah. and like he just he kind of just hit on it, like what it's like. It's like, well, this guy might, you know, we're, we got to monitor. He doesn't have an offer, but we have to monitor him, and it's literally like operating a stovetop, and you've got 15 pots on the stove. And you may have the gravy over here, like turned on low, but you got to keep an eye on it to make sure it doesn't burn. And uh, yeah. just it's a it's a fun experience, but it's uh, it's definitely you spend a lot of time chasing things that don't necessarily matter or, or probably won't end up mattering. For sure, uh, there's always I rem you know I remember back in my days when I was in the chair, Mike, you were in Jordan, you're in now. I remember having to. Uh, lend credence to a rumor that that Laramie Tunsil might be coming to Texas, and every fiber of your being is telling you 
the dude is going somewhere in the SEC because that was that was Mac Brown time, and Mac just didn't they didn't play the game back then like other schools were. And like you know what, I I have to report on this because then your your readers are like, oh man, what's happening with Laramie Tunsil? What's happening with Laramie Tunsil? I'm like, I really want to tell you guys not to pay attention at all to Laramie Tunsil, but I have to do the whole dog and pony show. Mike, there's been some of those for you where you've had to do it. And then there's the, you know, uh, one that we actually wrote about. I think Eric Henry wrote the piece right before the big 12 championship game. Uh, you know, something like Jalen Ford pops up where it's like in that window, like, Oh, Hey, by the way, this is probably going to pop before, you know, in the next 48 hours. So now you're the, scrambling. The Jalen Ford, Ford thing was, so again, and, and to reference one of our old, co-workers ej holland and i were the biggest Jalen ford fans in high school like we would watch him at frisco lone star and be like why is nobody recruiting this kid he's awesome and um that was part of a, a tenure at texas where it was very annoying to constantly call people and say hey you need to check this kid out and they'd just be like nah we're good on we're good on marvin mims and jackson smith and jig and Jalen ford um and so i had kind of just given up hope or whatever and I remember sitting, I was at, uh, that was the year, I mean, it does this some years, it, do, it doesn't, you know, the last two years, but signing day uh, crosses with state. So a lot of times I'm working on signing day stuff from the state press box. And like, it was the day after, and I got, saw something that was like, hey, Jalen Ford never signed with Utah. And I was like, that's weird. And I knew it was kind of Tim Beck's parting gift to the program. He was on his way out but was the area recruiter for Frisco and had gone and sealed the deal for Jalen Ford on his way out the door and uh, got a call from somebody that was like, Hey, we just got Jalen Ford's letter at Texas. And so I was like scrambling to write a story. I can remember like, do you remember the Rashawn Gary? Uh, like the, the weekend before signing day, hey, Rashawn Gary is going to show up in Texas. And I vaguely remember that. that yeah. It comes from, yeah. I mean, there's so many, I think, and by the way, I think it's changed a lot. Um, I think that NIL has changed the late signing day intrigue a lot because a lot of these guys are now locked into deals and they've got what they need. And yeah, there may be some last minute bidding. There's always going to be a couple of things, right? Like Dylan Rayola visiting Nebraska this weekend is giving, giving like life back to this. And it's great for guys like me who he's not in my region, so I don't really have to cover. If he's in my region, I'd be slamming my head on the table. But as a guy that's in a different region, I'm just like, yeah, this is awesome. So I think it's it's kind of changed from that perspective. But, man, I can remember, and Je- like, Jeff, you know, signing day, you're up at, like, 5 a.m. And yeah. you're starting to monitor if, for if letters. If you slept at all the night before. If you slept at all because I, you'd, spend, you'd be up till 3 a.m. on the phone with people trying to confirm these, hey, is this – hey, man, are you guys really going to get uh, – I don't know. You Is Travis Hunter really going to like flip to Texas? No. Where did you hear that? Okay. Sorry. I had to chase it. You know, like th- things of that nature. So I- I'm interested to see kind of what this signing day Eve holds for us, because I, I think it-, it could be interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jordan, yeah, you haven't, you haven't experienced any of that, Jordan, but you will trust me on, on this beat there. There will be a prospect that's been totally off your radar and it's probably going to be complete BS, but he'll pop up like next Monday afternoon and you'll be having to chase your tail trying to track it down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The one I've been the most. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. I was going to say 95, I'm 95% sure it's not going to ever come to anything. Like that's usually how it happens. The yeah. 5%, it does. Like, oh, okay, that's something. Ethan Burke was kind of one of those guys, right? Yeah. Like, okay, that is something. But it's 95% of the time. It's like, why did I just spend an hour chasing this? Yeah. Yeah, no, I was I was pretty upset when I saw that McKinley is pushing it back to February. <laughs> just because I was like, oh, my gosh, two more months. Like, we can't sign next Wednesday, man. Come on now. It gives you something to do for, for January, though. Yeah, but before we get back into Texas, Mike, real quick, and, and I mentioned this because he's such a big prospect, and Jordan and I talked about Dylan Rayola. You know, Texas didn't get Arch Manning. Uh, one of Ju- uh, Julian Sand or Dylan Rayola would probably be committed to Texas right now as Sark's quarterback taking the 24 class if Arch Manning didn't come to Texas. Uh, but you've been, you know, you've had a lot of intel on the Dylan Rayola situation from when he was at Burleson. 
which seems like forever ago now. But what, what's your take just on the way things have transpired in the last, I don't know, 72 hours or so? It, it makes a lot of sense when you talk to people around Dylan. Like, it does make a lot of sense that Nebraska has such a pool for him. It's where his dad went to school. His, his uncle, his dad's brother is, on the off, is the offensive line coach there. Like, they grew up watching that program. You know, Dominic Rayola is a legend at Nebraska. Yeah. And I'm sure every Saturday still watches Nebraska football. Like, I mean, that's, you know. And so I think Dylan's always been a kid who – has been a, a little bit marches to the beat of his own drum in the sense of, hey, I could go to Georgia and be the next guy, or I could go to Nebraska and be the guy that institutes that change. And I, I don't think anything, I mean, I I still do talk to people um, around Rayola, and it's, it is essentially like a, they have an understanding that I'm not going to report any of this. It's like yeah. we have a longstanding relationship. I'm just an observer here. I, you guys will answer the phone for me and nobody else because, you know, I'm not going to turn around and write anything about it. So I don't want to say too much of, of what I've been told, but I, I don't think it's a slam dunk that it's done or anything. But I do think that, um, you know, there is that pool from Nebraska. And I, I do think it's interesting for him to say I, we've seen it with Texas in the years that they've been down where guys have said, I want to be the part of the class that changes that. And I think it is is appealing. And so. You know, I, we'll see how it turns out this weekend in Lincoln. I, it, if it were me, it, yeah, it's tough to walk away from like what Georgia brings as a program. Yeah. But if you're a kid like Dylan, who is very individualistic and who a lot of self confidence, and you can, I mean, his dad's name's up in the stadium. So when you think about the sense of, I could go back, I could do this, and my name could be up in the stadium right next to my dad's, how cool would that be? You got to go look at that, I think. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, two things before we move on. <clears throat> Dylan Rayola is one of the only, one of the very few, you know, high school kids right now that can actually, actually understands that Nebraska was really good at one point because his, his dad was there when Nebraska, that was, that was back in the day, Mike, when if you beat Nebraska, you accomplished something. It was a great achievement to beat Nebraska. Talk to one of the, like the funny conversation, like talk to Dom Rayola sometime about, uh, what was it? 90, I guess it was 98, right? That was Dom's freshman year when Texas went into Nebraska and beat them. Was it 98? 98. Yeah. And then he had to deal with, uh, in 99, he had to deal with uh, Sean Rogers and Casey Hampton that game in Austin. The Texas one. It's funny he mentioned that. Like when I talked to him, he's like, I did that. And then I ended up playing in the NFL on the same team with Sean Rogers and, and all this stuff. But yeah, I mean, he was, it was funny. The first time I met Dylan and Dom, he was like, they had just come off a visit to Texas. And Dylan was not a known prospect at this point. It was literally like, he was Cecilia Connor's good friend. And that's why he was getting to go on visits. That's how <laughs> I met him, was, was interviewing Cecilia Connor. And, um, and Dom had told me at the time, he's like, man, I hated Texas. I've always hated Texas because I played for Nebraska. They ended our winning streak. Like, he goes, and then we went on the visit, and I was just blown away by everything. Like, it was everything yeah. was so professional and so well done. So it's funny to hear him kind of go back and talk about playing Texas in the 90s. And, yeah, I mean, that's – you, Jeff, when you and I grew up, that was the standard. I remember watching those those Tom Osborne yeah. teams and, and uh, you know, just kind of dominate teams on the field. I think they would probably get their heads kicked in by some of the Nick Saban Alabama teams or maybe the Kirby Smart Georgia teams just in terms of athleticism. But, dude, you can't – the 95 Nebraska team has very few peers in terms of, you know, greatest college football team of my lifetime. I mean, yeah. I've, I've heard I've heard stories about, you know, they were getting ready to play Florida in a Fiesta Bowl and – you know, Steve Spurrier was running the SEC at that point and just hearing from Nebraska people like a hundred percent confident, like, oh dude, we're gonna we're about to go beat the hell out of Florida. Like they don't they don't have a chance. And they pushed Florida around the field like Steve Spurrier teams didn't get pushed around at that point. Um, so that's just something to follow. And Jordan, I'll go to you. You, you. you've got your pick of I'll run down the guys real quick. <clears throat> guys that are 24-7 sports, three-star prospects. You give me the guy that in a few years, 
uh, everybody's going to regret that he should have been a four star or higher. He'll he'll outplay his ranking. You got Trey Owens, Jordan Washington, Santana Wilson, Daniel Cruz, uh, JJR, Christian Clark, DeAndre Robinson, Parker Livingstone, Nate Kibble, Alex January, Melvin Hills. And uh, yeah, we you know Michael Kern's a punter, so pun, no punter's going to be ranked higher than a three star. But get, any one of those guys, yeah, we, had that, punter. we had a four star punter last year, Tyler White, went they? And first four star punter. Hey, you remember when I was talking about the punter from the All American Bowl? That's who it is, Tyler White. <laughs> punk That's him. Jordan I was telling him, I'm like the best punter I've ever seen Jeff, in my life. He's on Texas A&M. Jeff, Texas. you've covered a million Army Bowl practices. Have you ever seen a punter draw, draw a crowd of media? It was no. like watching Tyler White just hit piss missiles and just drop dropping balls on the two yard line like he was hitting a a, a loft wedge. We uh, he'd have 30 media members just standing around the field watching him do it. No, start starting with Justin Tucker when I started going to those things and leading up to to now the last one I went to, which was the the one that uh, Jamon Tapp and Jalen Gilbo were in. Uh, <laughs> the punter is usually the guy you know playing grab ass at the under other end of the field while everybody's practicing. Like nobody pays attention to the specialists at these things. Just show just show up for the game on Saturday, and nobody really cares what you do the rest of the week. Yeah. 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 Um, so going through the three stars in the class, Jeff, how many do I get to pick? Uh hey man, if you if you think there's just one guy that's head and shoulders above everybody, or you like a couple guys, man, this is this is all you. You know, I I went to bat for and I thought I I risked my job and was gonna get fired for changing Deshaun Elliott's ranking to a four star rating after the after the rankings came out in 2015. I'm like, we'll just I'll be honest. I, I coaxed Brian Peroni into it because he had act, database access. I'm like, Peroni, don't put him in the top 247. Just make him a four-star. He's an unranked four-star. He needs to be. And Peroni did it. And um, we, we, We're on much better terms now, but I got a very angry text from Barton Simmons after that went down. So proceed. Like it, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, the guys That's I like. Move. Yeah, yeah. The guys I like. More, I like more, more balls than brains at that point, Mike, I had. Um, I like Jordan Washington a lot from Langham Creek. He's uh, the only tight end taking the class. Um, love his measurements. And just I think he's super raw. I like the basketball background too. Um, I don't think he's really a, an FBS or a, a, a high major basketball player at the next level. But mm-hmm. I think if he did put all his eggs into that basket, he could probably get some low-level interest of some sort. Um Santana Wilson, I like him a lot, too. Uh, I mean, he's a true corner, probably the truest corner of any of the DBs in the class. Uh, his father played in the NFL. His father works in the NFL currently still yeah. um, with the Cardinals. I like him a lot. I think we just don't really hear a lot about him because, you know, he keeps a lot. He, he keeps to himself, and he doesn't post a ton, doesn't really go on visits. Uh, since he committed to Texas on his official visit and went public with it then, uh, I have not once heard of him wavering off his commitment or anything like that. So I think he's just one of the quieter guys. That's why he doesn't get talked about as much. Uh, I like Daniel Cruz a lot uh, for a center. Phenomenal kid as well, too. Um, awesome kid and awesome player. He's also, I believe, been a four-year starter and has played all five positions at the high school level, which is pretty big. Damn, I'm just trying not to pick everyone here. Um I like JJR a lot, not as much as uh, other guys in terms of, you know, who could outplay the ranking, but I like him. Christian Clark's in the same boat. Um, Nate Kibble. Yeah. Give me your thoughts. Give me your thoughts on Trey Owens. Because you've seen, you've seen Trey, you've talked to Trey a little bit and and he is the quarterback taking this class. Yeah. um, I like Trey a lot. I like Trey a lot and I like a high three-star ranking for him. Um, And I also, think he could be a guy that could potentially outplay his ranking, but I'm not as confident on that as I am the other guys. Um, but Trey knows the situation going in, which I think is the best possible <laughs> scenario. Um, like he's not, bless you, he's not expecting to come in and compete for the starting job or anything like that. You know, he knows his role coming in and that he's going to have to earn everything and bust his ass and show up to practice if he ever wants to be the starter at Texas. And he knows those things, um, which is great. Because a lot of the times, uh, as Mike was saying earlier with Byron Murphy, whenever 
you know, kids say they're only going to go in and do three years or, you know, things of that nature, you most of the time just roll your eyes. Um, yeah. Because they're overconfident in themselves and different things like that. Whereas I just wanted to hit home that, like, it's a very much a good thing that Trey Owens knows his role coming into the program and everything like that. Um, I did want to talk about Nate Kilbo, though, just putting out the, uh, you know, top plays of the week from Texas commits throughout this season. Mm-hmm. I really liked a lot of Nate Kibble's senior year stuff. Um, whenever he did commit, I was somewhat surprised that that they were taking him. Um, but, I mean, he's proved me wrong. It's kind of made me eat my words for that through just seeing his play as a senior. Also, like Melvin Hills, uh, he didn't have a ton of game experience before he was ranked originally uh, this year. I haven't watched his film, but I did see he has 14 and a half sacks and put up some pretty solid numbers. So, yeah. looking forward to watching that. But I think he could be a guy who I just think he's incredibly – whenever we rated him, he was incredibly hard to project just because he didn't have a ton of game film. Um, but I think, you know, he he's a guy who really intrigues me. I don't know about NFL draft or outplaying the ranking, but just because we don't have a huge sample size, I'm very curious to see, you know, how his projection will work. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, man, give me give me athletic defensive lineman out of the state of Louisiana, you know, six days a week and twice on Sunday. Mike, anybody in this Texas class you've watched that – Maybe not even outplaying the ranking. Just somebody that you've watched this season that you're like, yeah, that that guy's somebody that you'll be hearing about a year or two down the road. I do want to I want to talk about Trey Owens because I I have a little bit of a different take from Jordan on him. I think that Trey Jordan can back this up. Trey has this like I think everybody looks at him like he's the safe pick after you take Arch Manning because no other elite quarterbacks wanted to come. And while you may think that Trey Owens has a self-confidence in him that is different like he is he's like yeah everybody thinks that i'm like the career backup but i'm really coming here to to, i'll compete my ass off and he is that kind of kid and i think that what he showed this year on the field with his build his ability to throw the deep ball he made some plays especially like when they beat katie in the playoffs he made a throw on the last drive to tie the game that was an NFL level, just quick turn, get it out, put it on the line, touchdown. And, you know, was able to extend the play with his legs. I think, man, like we try not to, at least on the evaluation side, look at where guys going to college when making an evaluation. But I think if you're looking at guys who are going to a program that's got a proven track record at a position or a coach that has a proven track record at a position, you have to consider that. And when you are Steve Sarkeesian's pick at quarterback, that means something um, yeah. in the college world. And, and I, like they could have gone a bunch of different directions in this class, and they went Trey Owens very early. I think if you want to make the, the easy comparison is Mac Jones, right? Like he's in this talented quarterback room with the Jalen Hurts and uh, um, Tua, Tua, and he's he's Mac Jones. I think that's kind of the way they see him um, and, and a guy that everybody overlooks, but is there, I will also add that like, we've still got uh, I think two full rankings updates to go. So these guys, I mean, could, could be four stars by the time we get to the end of this. Yeah. And then, you know, who knows if they'll outplay the ranking. The other guy I want to talk about, you guys mentioned briefly was Christian Clark who didn't have the best senior year. And I'm a believer in, in buying when stock is low. This is a guy that, in the last February, this was Tashar Choice's number one target on the board over Jared Gibson, over everybody else. And um, we'll see if that turns out. But the thing I've learned covering Tashar Choice and covering Texas is that guy's pretty good at evaluating. He has been nearly perfect in saying, I'm going to go get that guy and going and getting him, <laughs> uh, whether it be CJ Baxter or Jared Gibson or Christian Clark. And I think that, I think. You guys may have talked about it a ton. I don't. I don't get to watch the show a lot, but Tashar Choice is an elite assistant. Texas has, from both as a developer and a recruiter, and I think that his feelings on Christian Clark, if they are still what they are after a senior season, mean something to me. And so, um, I think that is a guy you could see bounce back at Texas and all of a sudden be like, "Well, where did this guy come from?" Yeah, it's an early sample. But this may be the best staff Texas has had at developing talent 
Maybe since the Fred Akers era, to be honest. Because, you know, again, Jordan doesn't really remember the the Halcyon days under Mac. But, Mike, you remember, like, Texas was just recruiting an absurd amount of talent. And they were sending guys to the NFL. But, and I've I've talked to, to Rod Babers and other guys about this, man. They would go to the Combine, and that was kind of the knock on Texas guys was, well, you guys still aren't aren't fully developed. You know, there's still yeah. there's still some room to grow. I just feel like, you know, Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, Jalen Ford, like I keep going back to those three guys. Those are great examples of, of what it looks like when you actually develop guys. And to to your point, Mike, about the shard choice, it's a Gunner Helm is a guy that like was to me in that 21 class was a complete afterthought. You're gonna miss Jatavian Sanders a whole lot next year, but dude, Gunner Helm, Gunner Helm could be like an all SEC level tight end for Texas. It's really weird to wrap my head around saying that, but I got to get used to it now. You know, Gunner Helm's yeah. a really good tight end prospect. Like it's amazing what happens when you hire good coaches, when you retain good coaches, and allow good coaches to do what you hired them to do. It's amazing how how quickly you can develop really good football players. And I got to say this and I got to run because my, uh, my daughter is up and crying and upstairs. So I got to run and go take care of her. But uh, I mean, this is going to be this could be a year where we see Texas break like it's modern record for draft picks, which is insane considering yeah. we're what a couple years removed from them going over in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just really shows that what they've done turning around this roster development wise. So uh, I appreciate you guys for having me on. Let me go change oh, the diaper. Thanks, Mike. And make a bomb. Yeah, I know you're busy, but thank you, man. Sir, I'll see you later today. Yeah, anytime, guys. All right, later, thanks, Mike. later uh, Jordan. I'll see you tonight. See ya. All right, man. Mike Roach, 24-7 Sports. You can still get him at Mike Roach 247 on the Twitter machine. His work is all over the 24-7 Sports Network. Um, really good hour there, Jordan, with Mike. Uh you know, Mike is a, a, a has a wealth of knowledge on this stuff, and again, he's seen the rock. It's it's interesting to have both you guys on because he saw this roster when it was getting put together. Now, as we see, okay, Stark has gotten Texas to this point. What are you going to do to maintain it? Now you're on the side of seeing the guys they're trying to bring in to to maintain this thing. And I just can't I can't say enough about the way the staff develops, man. That's been the problem, the problem at Texas. And there's a lot of tentacles that stretch out from that, from player development. But that's essentially been the problem. And Sark has gone a long way to rectify that. Jordan, we talked about the portal uh, with Matthew Golden. Didn't really talk much Trey Moore because, I don't know, the Ohio State visit coming up. I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about until he makes that visit. Uh, anything else top of mind for you before we turn it over to, to Trey and BK? Um. No, not not Texas related, but um, Cam Ward is on a visit to Miami right now. Mm-hmm. He's not going there. Uh, DJ Lagway, on the other hand, um, him flipping to A and M is a very real possibility. Really? Yeah, uh, I spoke to a source last night who's in DJ Lagway's camp. Like that is a very real, very real thing. Um, I'm not going to report on that just because I really do not want to get involved. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if I have information that I know other people don't have, I'm going to release the information. Um, so, yeah, um, I think I hit on everything for for Golden. Uh, I'm going to visit DJ, Louisville this weekend. The Texas DJ staff. Lagway thing is fascinating because if you're the powers that be in Florida, if your class – I mean, your class disintegrates at that point. If you lose the quarterback take, what what is the incentive at that point to keep Billy Napier around? Yeah, and you know, hey y'all, y'all know how I feel. They're most likely losing Phil to me as well. So yeah, they lose Lagway too. I, I'm not sure how close. Like I, I definitely, I mean, I know way more about Phil to me than I do Lagway, but. Um, Phil Smith's recruitment, I'm fully expecting him to flip to Texas come signing day. Uh, Lagway, on the other hand, I just think it's a very real possibility. I don't even know wow. if that's getting reported on, to be honest. I haven't been on Gigum 24-7 or Swamp 24-7 this morning. Um, 
But if he does end up at A te- and M, that is not good for Texas at all. Uh-huh. No, no, because that kid's a hell of a talent. And I mean, I, I look, <laughs> I saw Colin Klein win a Big Twelve championship with Adrian Martinez <laughs> and Will Howard as his quarterbacks. So I kind of want to see what he could do with a guy like like. Do you hear the other hire that A and M made? Apparently, I I don't know if this is out, but I got a text about this this morning. Who they hired for strength conditioning? Yeah, I recognize the name. Why is why was that such a big deal? And why was I mean? I, this always happens no matter what the hire is with the fans of the school are like great hire, but like yeah. wait, fill fill me in. I want to hear it. Tom, Tommy Moffat uh, was the strength and conditioning guy at LSU like forever, mm-hmm. and you know. It's I, I, I again. I got a text on that. I don't see anything getting reported on uh, on our A and M side. I think that's kind of in the Twitterverse right now. But if that's who A and M's hiring for strength conditioning, and you know, where it's starting to go down, actually, uh, yeah, okay. So football scoop is saying that it's apparently set to happen. It's one of those deals that like it's not all the way across the finish line yet, but for all intents and purposes, it is. Tommy Moffitt's kind of in that mold of, of what AM lost. I think when it started to go downhill under Jimbo was when Jerry Schmidt left and went back to Oklahoma. Um, you know, I, I talked to enough Oklahoma guys, whether it was, you know, Joaquin Iglesias or, or Tommy Harris, the guys that I would see around as we train BK come in. And this was right around the time that uh, Lincoln Riley was taking over the program for Bob Stoops. And Tommy Harris was the guy that told me point blank. He's like, look, I don't give a damn who the head coach is. So as long as Schmidt, he's still there running strength conditioning. Like Oklahoma football is going to be fine, and you know we saw what he did at A and M, and I think that that hurt A and M a lot more than I think A and M fans would admit at the time. But I think now in hindsight, you look at how it's gone, and like, yeah, they they miss Jerry Schmidt a whole lot. But if Tommy Moffitt's the hire, that's a slam dunk freaking strength conditioning hire for A and M. As 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 we talked to Trey and BK, two guys who are very familiar with the. Uh, Look at the strength conditioning coach we just hired. He's the greatest thing ever, and he's going to reinvent the wheel of our player development program. Oh, I can't wait to hear about the oh trade no. shirts coming no. off shirtless today. That's it. Strength oh, no. conditioning program. Hi, right, y'all. It's been a good show. Uh, hold on, hold on. I'm leaving. <laughs> One of you guys has to stay. I ain't dealing with this shit. Trey's going to do his best Benny Wiley and look at himself in the mirror during the entire show. I'm going to blow out a pack. Yeah, Trey, Trey was coached by Charlie Strong. He does not do squats either. I've been told. Yeah, fuck that day. Trey, you remember that one camp where you know Mac used to send out like the pre-camp injury report, like so and so will be limited or whatever. So and so is not available. It felt like there were like eight guys all with groin injuries. Like, what the hell are y'all doing over there? Like, there's like eight dudes that all have a groin injury. And I was talking to guys. It's like, yeah, because after a workout, we're having to run like 14 200s for some freaking reason. There's a right time and a wrong time to do certain activities. Like I used to hear about James Harden going into the gym after games. What the fuck are you doing? That's that's counterproductive, if anything. It's just setting yourself up. Now, it didn't matter for James Harden. He kind of has an old man game anyhow. And yeah. he got really fat over the years, too. Big <laughs> fat point guard, favorite position on the floor. When there is one, but uh, James Harden, I guess, runs counter to that because uh, he sucks as a player. You don't want him on your team. But yeah, it was it was the it was the uh, the quad injury or the lower leg injury at one point. It was the pec injury at one point. It's like how much emphasis are you putting into uh, to chest day here, guys? Yeah. Like ease up on the bench press just a little bit because you have guys injuring their pecs multiple times, like uh, uh, Jeffco did, and other guys suffering a very similar injury. Eventually, a pattern. Is uh, is a sign that you need to do something a little bit differently in the weight room. Yeah, and I, I remember that was the knock on Benny Wiley, which USC fans now are complaining about Benny Wiley, just like Texas fans did and Oklahoma fans did. Even back when he was at Tech with Mike Leach, that was kind of the knock on those Mike Leach Tech teams. Were like, yeah, they they look great getting off the bus, and I'm pretty sure if they walked around shirtless at spring break, they would get their share of girls that were intrigued. But that really doesn't amount to anything in the fourth quarter of football games. It can help, but it's not the only factor. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think uh, the Rangers minor league system led the world in groin injuries about 10 years ago. Oh, is that the uh, the Rugnet? Not not the Rugnet Odor 
that got cut, but the Rugnetto door that had the thing. Yeah. With the deal. Yeah. There's a deep cut. All right. Before before y'all leave, what? I missed that. Before y'all leave, Kobe Black, is it happening? Fully expecting him to commit to Texas in about four hours. Okay. Oh. I mean, it's a yes or a no. Like, it's, this is going to your head, and if you're wrong, you're done. So, oh. I, I need a yes. Hey, I'd like to have Jordan continue to co-host with me. So. Yeah, I would, too. And I would like to have Kobe Black commit to Texas today. That's that's what's at stake here. That's what's on the line. So, what's it going to be? You good with that? You good with well, that, Jordan? Come on. I, <laughs> All right, fully expected. We'll take that. Are those sports cards behind you, Jordan? Sports cards. Are those sports cards behind you? Uh, yeah, they're like uh, basketball cards from the the nineties and eighties. When did this montage start? Uh, when I was sometime in elementary school, I got really into. uh, I was playing baseball at the time and got really into baseball cards and found out about basketball cards and. Wanted the old ones, um, so I asked them for Christmas and just ripped them open and threw them in a box for like five years. And then a few years ago, I was just like, man, it'd probably be pretty cool looking on the wall if I put it up on a poster board, and that's what I did. I dig it. I know it takes the value of the card down to zero, but I think the aesthetic is really cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't – Yeah, I'm, I'm not into like collecting cards at all. Uh, it was more just decoration stuff. I have no idea if I even have any valuable ones. I doubt it, but they're not valuable now. <laughs> George's not as big of a dork as I am, so be thankful yeah. for that. Big card collector. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, guys, have a good show.